0: Welcome to Better Leaders, the podcast where we surface good leadership and smart management in media and beyond. Today, I'm talking to Stilly Karalambas, CEO at the Daily Maverick. My name is Anita Zilina, and I'm your host. Welcome to Better Leaders. Dilly, thank you so much for joining me today uh, in the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you.
1: So lovely to be talking with you again, Anita.
0: For our listeners who might not be super familiar with the South African media ecosystem, um, tell us a little bit about uh, Daily Maverick and your role as a CEO there.
1: Yeah, I'm the co-founder of Daily Maverick. We started in 2009 as a digital upstart, new player in the media sector, um, in a time when we, you know, we had just got a new president in the country, the digital disruption was kicking off around the world, and, uh, little did we know what was in store for us as we started out with five people. I started out in a part time role of CEO and everything else that goes with keeping a, a, a digital publication going. Um, and so from there we've grown. Um, Well, we've survived, first and foremost, for 13 years, uh, and we've grown to about 120 people now. I think we're the second biggest uh, digital publisher in the country. We launched a newspaper in the middle of COVID, and so we've had a lot of fun along the way. We've uh, broken some of the biggest investigations in South Africa's post-democratic history. Um, So we've had a massive amount of impact uh, on the country. Uh, We've created a whole bunch of new jobs in a time when the industry has lost Two thirds of its workforce since we started. So, in that environment uh, of disruption, of economic and political disruption affecting media, um, you know, we've been focused on on growing and and growing ourselves and trying to support the industry, trying to be that front line of defense for the industry, and uh, and within all of that, trying to innovate and survive at the same time and figure out what sustainability looks like. Um, yeah, and just trying to have fun along the way too.
0: That's an amazing, an amazing story uh, and an amazing journey um, that started like all entrepreneurial star- journeys start, right? That started small. That started most likely with an idea and a passion and some people who said, "Let's try something." Did you always was that a deliberate process? Did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? You wanted to build something of your own, or did that kind of just happen at some point?
1: Yeah I like to tell people that I am a reformed accountant in recovery um I trained as a, a as a chartered accountant in South Africa went and worked in in the UK in some investment banks and then decided I really wanted to come back to South Africa and get stuck in into something more entrepreneurial more startup-ish, um and really just fell into media uh it, it was a by chance introduction to the founder Uh, Branko Brkić, who had had uh, a a, you know lifetime of experience in in publishing, you know books, magazines, and this was his foray into into digital. So my um experience and entry into into media was really by chance, and uh, you know it just sounded. Less terrible than my other options at the time, and so that's how I got involved. Um, but I always we should maybe need...
0: put that on some. We should put that on some billboard. Less terrible than your other options. Less terrible than accounting. <laughs> maybe that would solve the talent crisis in journalism a bit better.
1: Maybe I, I look anyway. We can get good people into the industry. You know, we, we should take it. But um, yeah, I think coming in with uh, zero background to media was both a curse and an opportunity, um, because, you know, you, there's a steep learning curve, but you also don't have legacy baggage to deal with. Um, yeah. but I was always interested in, uh, business in entrepreneurship and starting something new. Um, cause I really had a lot of personality clashes with, uh, accounting with the corporate environment. Um, and you know, and some other incidents that just really told me this wasn't the right environment for me. Mm. I needed to be in something uh, more stimulating, more creative um, and, you know, and kind of found this, this thing that grew into a passion very quickly. I was warned by my founder, uh, finding partner and editor uh, Branko that you know once this gets into your blood you'll never be able to get it out and he, he was he was right about a lot of things and he, and that was another one that he was right about, but definitely a passion for building things and and um, and trying to figure out these business problems
0: yeah let's talk a little bit also about the uh, well obviously there is the the, the building site in the sense of like building the business and the product suite. But let's also talk a little bit about um, deliberately like building the culture of an organization that didn't exist before. Like deciding how do we want to work together? How do we want to treat each other? How do we, you know, see communication and leadership and so forth? Uh, can you share a little bit about how you and your co-founder approached that at the Daily Maverick?
1: I'd like to say... And I wish I could say that we were really conscious about this. Um, but I think what we did was we just let sort of, you know, common sense and what we would like to experience as people uh, in the environment in having a relaxed and, you know, let the output be the thing that guides us, you know, as long as we're doing great work, as long as we, um, you know, are kind to each other, as long as we're, you know, we treat everyone like adults in the room, um, then... You know that'll let that be our guide. I didn't, you wouldn't know, sit down and go, "This is a culture that," you know, and define it. Um, and you know, in those early days of being startup, you can get away with that. Uh, but I think as yeah. the organi- as the organisation matures, as it evolves, as you break through, you know, a lot of people talk about sort of 40, 50 people as a sort of a, a real watershed where things change, right? And you have to. Um, think more about middle management, especially, um, and how in a distributed remote environment, um, how are you going to stimulate a, a, and, and create the environment for a culture to thrive? And what is that culture? And how do you define it? And how do you support it and, and drive it uh, when all these external pressures, like really big pressures, economic, political, Threats to physical safety, mental health issues, all of that are just bearing down of you on, on the outside. And so realizing, well, what is it that we can do internally to respond to, to these pressures and what we would like to see? And then to make efforts to try and to try and get there. So I think we've become more conscious about that as we've become bigger because it's it's been necessary. Um and in part in, in response to issues that come up, but also in response to having a clearer vision of what good and great looks like, and then working backwards to try and achieve that.
0: I mean, I feel like like you said at the beginning, you said something like, well, it wasn't as kind of deliberate and conscious in the very beginning. We just built something that we wanted for ourselves, how we would love to be treated. And I do think, I mean, that sounds fairly basic. You'd assume that everyone thinks like that. But I do think that a lot of organizations forget that very plain and simple human. Well, how would I want to work and how would I want to be treated? Right. So I don't actually think it's that, it's that basic. I actually think it's a building an organization that you would enjoy working in is probably a good path.
1: Yeah, and and we've also um, rehabilitated a lot of people who suffered a lot of trauma in news organizations in South Africa as those pressures uh, came to bear, whether it was economic downsizing or political compromise of news organizations and and people being pushed out for whatever reasons. And so suffering a lot of trauma, and and so we've often had to sort of just kind of let people know that they can come into this environment where they can trust their colleagues, where mm. um, we have this pursuit of our vision and mission, which is clear for everyone and and um, is going to serve the society and the audiences of this country. And, and so for a lot of people, that's strange when they come in and they take time and they need to acclimatize to that. Uh, but we also are aware that our actions – and our words as the leaders, especially as co-founders who are still here 13 years later, um, carry a lot of weight. And so, you know, we do make, um, we do realize that we have to be continuously showing up in our communication, in our actions, um, in the roles that we create, in, you know, the people that get promoted and all these things that add up to this kind of place that we want to, you know, that, that we'd like to get to an ideal place is we never quite get there and things keep changing, but at least as, as long as we're making progress towards it, then, then we're okay.
0: Yeah. Can you talk about some of those approaches? Because that I find truly, truly interesting as well. Um, you don't, you don't only have the the usual stress of a media organization, you know, the timelines and the time crunch and the deadlines and the economic pressure. You also work in an ecosystem and a country where journalism is under pressure. So that adds like a whole layer of stress and trauma and things to take care of. Can you talk a little bit about how you, how you personally deal with all that stress, but then also how you, Help the organization and your teams deal with that level of stress.
1: Yeah, uh, there was a, a, a sort of a big turning point for us. Uh, I think it was in 2016. Um, we became we were recipients of a of a big cache of of, of information that became known as the Gupta leaks. That. Um, Ultimately helped change this country, change the leadership, uh, contributed to a change in, in leadership right at the top, president resigning um, and a whole host of other circumstances. And in that time, there was a lot of crazy stuff happening, like, you know, getting whistleblowers out of the country because we feared for their lives, um, them having to give up their, um, you know, their businesses in order to do in order to do this. Uh, having to raise the funding for them, having to deal with the potential threat of state security, knocking down the door at any time. Um, and I guess that point, which, which was a massive turning point for us. Um, it's funny. I often talk about, you know, the universe, you know, wanting to make those things happen. Um, and the, the, what I'm getting to is that. I had to go through a lot of personal growth and development before we were ready as an organization to take on something like that. Um, And it's funny how the timing worked. And I I just remember having to do a lot of work on myself and then helping the organization extend what I'd learned about myself into the practices of the organization. And so the growth of the business was, was tied... To the growth that I needed to go through myself uh, as a founder, as a CEO, as someone who has this outsized impact. And I don't believe that we would, we would have been in this place or able to deal with that if I hadn't done all that work on myself. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's closely linked. There's a high correlation between being, you know, being assured, being self aware. Being really conscious of um, of all these things, taking care of myself, the the maintenance, uh, mental health maintenance, the spiritual maintenance, all these things that like we're becoming part uh, of my routine, um, put me in a place to be able to better deal with everything that the demands of the organization and the, the demands of like these crazy things that we had to do, like yeah. getting getting whistleblowers out of the country, dealing with journalists whose lives were being threatened. Um, their physical safety, uh, dealing with you know state security, breaking into our journalists' homes, um, being tracked by state security, um, and all these things that that come with this this uh, this place. So if I'm not coming from a place of being centered um, and looking after myself, then it's very hard for the organisation to then follow and to realise that we need to bring these things into the organisation. And so when COVID hit. Uh, we'd been talking about making a, a mental health counselor available to the team, um, and we did. And we realized that, that that was going to be a huge support mechanism, but not only making it available, um, also talking uh, about it and destigmatizing it for a lot of people who'd never made use um, of mental health services and support and counseling before. And so it was up to us to to talk about how we were going to sessions with the counselor, how um we were leaning on that for support, how we needed to take time off. And so um it, it all starts with us individually as as leaders, first to know that we've got to have our own sort of personal setup and routines yeah. and and, and self care and then also go, well, if we need it, and then how else can we bring that into the organisation to um assist other people to to take up these th- these um yeah. efforts?
0: And that's such a thoughtful, thoughtful approach. And it kind of reminds me when you're, you know, when you're on the plane and they tell you if the plane crashes, put your oxygen mask on first and then help weaker folks and older folks and kids. It's, it's very, very comparable to this, right? That you can only lead through turbulence if you have the energy and stamina to do it.
1: Yeah, it's it's absolutely true. I mean, how you know you, you you need to be making important decisions. You need to be communicating with people. Um, you need to be aware of your emotions and you need to be responding to things and not just reacting to things and, and responding thoughtfully, um, knowing, you know, what is the the bigger vision here, right? What is the the long term plan? And I think all yeah. these things. You know, are um, really only possible or routinely possible if if we're looking after ourselves and if we're in a good place and if we are centered. Um, and so, um, yeah, I feel like those first um, seven years were so, so hectic and not blurry. <laughs> they, they were not centered for for a lot of reasons. I mean, we had no we had, uh, we didn't know what sustainability looked like. It was you know living from the twenty fifth of the month to the next payroll run to the next payroll run i mean i have this fear of the number 25 that i'm still trying to get over because of that it's <laughs> um, probably also
0: an accountant an accountant trauma uh that you carry with yourself
1: <laughs> yeah and and if you're not i mean to deal with those kinds of pressures and yeah. and I, I wasn't it was just and um, it just it's all blurry in my mind it's all hectic it's all intense and a lot of that was also because you know I wasn't in the best place. And so I yeah. think if you chart the the growth and the success of Daily Maverick, it really picks up once I'd basically sorted my own shit out. Or some of it. Enough of it yeah. for it to, to have an effect. And
0: it's interesting that Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that in many of these conversations that I have for this podcast, um, the conversation always at some point comes back to this question of you know, conscious leadership and reflected leadership. And the, the fact that the media industry for so long has insisted that um, leadership means being strong and not questioning yourself and not uh, questioning, letting yourself be questioned. Um, and that that is shifting and has to shift. Um, and that leading through transformation, the transformation we're all in as an industry, the transformation our organizations are in, is only possible if we also rethink and redefine what good leadership looks like in the industry. Do you see that not just like looking at the Daily Maverick, but looking at the industry, looking towards the outside, towards other leaders? Do you see that shift as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you had to sum up the world's problems right now, you know, poor leadership would be the number one reason. Um, that is contributing yeah. to you know most of the problems uh, that the world is facing you know whether it's war whether it's mismanagement of economies whether it's corruption whether it's um, the news industry right it, it it all starts starts with leadership it starts with with leaders um Knowing what the long-term plan and the vision is and how to get there and, and, um, and styles of leadership and, and knowing what leadership is often, I think a lot of people just sort of enter into leadership positions just by osmosis, like, or, you know, by some kind of political kind of uh, ladder climbing exercise, as opposed to like thinking really consciously about, well, what does it mean to lead? What does leadership Look, what does it actually entail? No one, when you start a company, there isn't like a handbook that says this is how you start a digital news publication in a time of massive disruption in a politically corrupt ecosystem with threats to life and physical safety. There, there just isn't a handbook like that, um, and so you've got to f- be comfortable knowing that we don't know a lot, and to admit that there are gaps in in what we do, in what we know. And then to go out and seek the help of of, um, of uh, knowledge bases or people to fill in those gaps, or to hire those gaps into the organization if you're lucky enough to be able to 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 hire that in. And I think for me, there was a lot of a lot of this like thinking that leadership was just well, for for a long part, for a long part of the first part of the organization was really just keeping things afloat, but. Yeah. That's such a shitty way of, of existing, you know. Um, it was necessary, um, but I think once we realized and we acknowledged that we had to go and take ourselves out of this environment that we were in, go and learn from other organizations in the U.S., um, go back to school, you know, that's where where we met and, and uh, in the course, and work with external leadership coaches um, to develop and evolve and improve our leadership game personally and as an organization. So, you know, and that really only came in the last few years for us was that, um, that there are specific efforts and frameworks that you can use um, to leadership, which I didn't even know existed. Um, and so, you know, discovering and being aware of those unknowns and then working to, you know, to fill in the blanks with, you know, what is, there's quite a lot of stuff out there. You just need to go and find the stuff that works and looks good and, and suits the organization.
0: So what are some, some tweaks um, you and your co-founder made in the organization when it comes to management, to leadership, to structure, to culture? What are some things that kind of emerged in the past years where you said, I think we we kind of need to grow up in that in that space or we need to professionalize.
1: Yeah, grow up is, is a good way of of describing it. You know, what got us here was not gonna be the the thing that takes us to the next phase or even beyond. Um, how do we evolve out of what was essentially a partnership? The two of us running the organization into something that is a, a medium-sized organization with big ambitions to remain Lean and agile and and innovative, um, but accommodating a growth and and surge in, in in people that are going to join the organization. So this evolution, how do we manage that evolution? And so for us, there was the there was the big thing: how do we do that without losing our spark? Uh, there was this terrible fear of corporatizing, which everyone had, but there was also at the same time this you know um, need and this cry from people that we needed more structure because the partnership model was causing blockages and people didn't feel whether they had the authority to make decisions and um, and so it, it wasn't working anymore and it was causing friction and it was causing um, delays and you know and all sorts of unwarranted and un- unnecessary uh, outcomes and so you know that's when I kind of realized we've got to we've got to under- undertake this massive Um, reorganization and restructuring of what it looks like. And also, how do we do this in a way that the organization can sustain itself in 10 years time or when one or both of us are no longer involved? Because there's so many examples and so many examples in media where those founders leave and then it all just falls apart because they didn't do the work to plan for the future and to transfer um, the knowledge, the skills, the culture, the vision to a broader, um, segment of people in, in the organization. And so we had to figure out what does that plan look like? Um, that was a big part uh, of the. A capstone project thesis that I, that I did at the end um, of my time at CUNY uh, with you and, and, and the rest of the team there. Um, and that developed into a big leadership development program as well that ran alongside that. And so you know the last two years has been around um, putting those things into place, um, being really clear around visioning you know what does great look like, how do we measure success. How do we work backwards together? And so really not trying to focus on the what, but really making the why and the how um, clear and the frameworks clear of how we can respond to what is always going to be an industry that is, you know, uh, in flux, dealing with disruption, dealing with political challenges. Um, how, do we, how do we get those frameworks entrenched into the culture of the DNA so that we can keep using them to make better decisions um, and, and to give us a greater chance of success. And so, and then also at the same time, how can we deepen the leadership bench and coach more people to a level where they can take these frameworks and run them within their own teams, and then that alignment starts flowing through throughout the organization. And so, um, realizing that that was necessary. Um, finding the people to help us with that implementation, mm. carving out the budget to to finance that, carving out the time budget as well. I mean we're an industry that has daily deadlines like few other industries have. And so it's very easy for people in the news industry to get caught up in the operations of an yeah. of an organization. Right. And so not making enough time for management and not making enough time for leadership um, as well. And the added challenge as well is that in under-resourced organizations, um, leaders are often managers too. And, you know, there might be an over-index in, in that yeah. little time that you have outside of operations might get all soaked up in management and not enough in leadership. And so, you know, really being conscious about Carving out that time and also telling people, like, this is a leadership hat moment, right, or a session, right? This is leadership, with there's not management. And knowing the difference between the two, but also saying, okay, we're, gonna, we're not going to do that now because this is important for the long term. And it's really mm-hmm. hard for news people because that daily… The daily routine and the neural pathways that we've carved out yeah. over years is just, it's easy. It takes more energy to kind of do this, uh, to attend to that daily grind than it is to kind of stop, look up and plan for the long term.
0: Yeah. I, 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 I do think that is a, a, a very correct observation. Routines just tend to repeat themselves and they tend to suck you in. Um, and they tend to kind of, you know, uh, if you don't consciously try to step out of them and say, we're doing something different now, the Fridays I'm, you know, putting my leadership hat on and I'm getting rid of the operations hat or before 10, I deliberately have meetings that focus on it in a, that, you know, are led in a different vibe and focus on a different area. I think it is very hard um, to work with those different speeds that you have in a media organization. So I think that's part of, uh, part of what I'm seeing in other organizations as well, so I think that's a very good observation. Um, how do you it? How is the? You talked about the leadership bench, right, and kind of the pipeline and uh, the talent management. How's that going? How's that going for you? But how do you also see it in the industry? Because I mean, the media industry as a whole is in a huge disruption, also because it's becoming harder to hire folks. We could talk for days, probably about the reasons why it's becoming harder. But how's that going for you guys?
1: I, look, I can really only speak to the inside of, of our organization and what we've done. Um, it does feel just by looking from the outside, from other media organizations in the country, that we are investing way more in leadership development than a lot of other organizations yeah. that, I, that I see. Um, and because we have this, you know, I guess maybe this fear that, um, you know, that if we don't do this now um, and we leave or something t- terrible happens to us for whatever reason, you know, how long would would it be able to run without us before things lose their direction? And so um, we've invested a lot in the last two years in, in doing that. And But I, I do think, and from what I – here and see, it's 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 rather rare. Uh, I think part of the problem of the news industry has been that it hasn't invested enough in leadership and leadership development. Um, if we think of the industry's failure to innovate, I, I think we can probably say that the industry has failed to innovate. And why disruption uh, the the digital disruption ended up being such a big thing? I mean. That is ultimately the failure of leadership, right? It's not leaders' responsibility to do the innovation, but to facilitate and create a culture of innovation. And so I think it's, it's evident that you know, leadership wasn't um, valued enough or supported enough or the development wasn't enough. Or maybe it just went in the same old areas of like you know, certain types of people um, just continuously made leadership positions their own, or maybe it was done because, you know, the news industry effectively operated in oligopolies, right? So you need yeah. a, a license to broadcast on on TV or radio. Um, newspapers were expensive to print. And so you had these barriers to entry that kept the competition out um, to the extent where, you know, there was no disruption in 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 the industry, which is rare because every industry and every company gets disrupted. And we kicked it so far down the road that when the disruption came, it came in a wave for the entire world's news industry by organizations that were outside of the news industry. And so it changed the sort of the nature and the the intensity and the speed of the disruption. Um, And so, but that is ultimately, you know, the responsibility of leaders, right? The future, yeah. the vision, the possible outcomes that, that need to be, um, considered. Um, all of that is, is, is the responsibility for leaders. And so, um, I think what you were driving at CUNY and other J schools that are now starting to realize that, um, you know, the education, Around what is needed in a media company, in a modern media company, um, can't just be limited to the production of journalism. Right? There's all these other things around product and management and leadership and strategy and innovation. Um, now that those moats, those protective moats, have been removed, um, you know we we have a we have a big fight in our hands for survival and sustainability. And we need um, new skills and and better leaders.
0: One and, and I do obviously agree with <laughs> with everything you you said here, and I find that there are some situations where it becomes uh, particularly obvious. And obviously, one of these situations is when the organization is in trouble, or when you know the the tides start turning or when the economic numbers are starting to worsen. So when in bad times, let's just put it that way, um, it becomes particularly obvious how leaders react to that stress of bad news. How do you personally, can you talk a little bit about how you, how you lead in not so easy times, how you lead through crisis, how you led through the whole COVID situation, for example?
1: Um, Anita, the only way I can really answer that is we have only ever known crisis and bad times. <laughs> it's only, it's been, I mean, when you, we basically lived from, from, you know, month to month for the first eight years of, of our existence. And even then, after that, it was, the runway was never, was never longer than like six months at any like given time. Um. And so you kind of, that's just the normal operating environment and, and circumstance that we're in. And so I guess in a way, if you can come through that, um, and to come through that with care and respect and, 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 and dignity and how you deal with colleagues and, and deal with stresses and stuff, um, then, you know, you've kind of been t- stress tested properly. Yeah. <laughs> and so we've only ever known that I mean from day 1 the day we launched like the pressure was on the stresses were were there and so we we've never it's re- so i can't really tell you what we would be like in a in a plain sailing everything is great uh, environment you know like even now um i like to think that we've we've graduated to a better class of problems um but there are still problems there's still
0: problems there's still yeah.
1: massive of course still problems there's still yeah. Um, Our ambitions are are big, uh, bigger now. Um, You know, there's always funding and fundraising issues. All the growth that we have gets reinvested into the organization, Um, not because we just want to grow for the sake of growing, but because we believe it's important for the country and for the industry that a strong, sustainable um, and bigger and more influential Daily Maverick is good for all... All those parties concerned and us so we're still in you know feeling that feeling those stresses um, we're a bigger target now than we were before um, there's you know disruption coming in um, you know it feels like you're just kind of getting your head over above water from the big digital disruption and now the ai disruptions coming and you know what does that mean and um, so i think just becoming comfortable with this Change that, that, you know, the only thing you get for successfully navigating change is a big bucket of more change. And, um, and just realizing that, well, that's just going to be the status quo pretty much forever. So we might as well carry ourselves in, in, in the way that we want to and, and be able to, you know, teach ourselves and build a culture that is, is comfortable responding to the demands of the moment. But not, but never taking uh, the eye off the long-term goals, and I think that's what we really want to instill yeah. is that there's a long-term, there's a long-term plan here. There's a vision, progress, not perfection, um, and create the kind of place, you know, in a way, in my mind, I want to create the kind of place that people never want to leave, that they want to work, you know, see the rest of their working days out at um, at Daily Maverick.
0: There is this saying or this uh description of CEOs as either peacetime or wartime CEOs. I actually don't love that it's kind of this war metaphor, but I think there is a point to to people who are great at leading in, you know, through turbulence and people who excel leading when everything is like quiet and organized and who focus on the optimization part of things. How do you personally, (laughs) well, obviously you've played in the wartime CEO field, but do you think that's also like a personal choice? Do you think you'd be, you'd be happy leading a very kind of stable, mature organization in quiet waters?
1: You know there's never a dull moment in our world, and we would love some dull moments. Some extended moments of dull would be amazing uh, we we would we would love that I think um the and, and you often find this as well um startup founders really make the CEO uh, of a bigger, more mature organization they they really are attracted to it, and they're actually really not often good at it. Because they need, uh, you know, they need the chaos. They need the 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 helter skelter, fast decision making, move quickly kind of thing. And then, as an organization becomes bigger and starts grinding a little bit slower than before, and innovation starts becoming more about exploitation of efficiencies rather than moving into new exciting areas, that starts, you know, people leave um and they uh, so I think it can be done um I think certain people are more amenable to doing it. um We did Enneagram work as part of our leadership development um It was really interesting to see you know there's this um i think mean the y combinator um Paul Graham. Um, ecosystem would, would often talk about they would never invest in a single founder. They would only invest in co founders because the job of a startup is so difficult that you need at least two people to be throwing their everything at this. But beyond that, what we found was that as co founders, we had complementary Enneagram profiles. So um, Branko, very big on, you know, enthusiastic visionary is his Enneagram profile. Um, I, which is a seven. Next door to the seven is a six. I'm a loyal skeptic. Um, I don't love that term or that label, but essentially, I'm. Um, <laughs> he's all about getting people to the top of the hill, motivating them to charge, and then I'm the, you know, the person who's figuring out how we're going to pay to get people to the top of the hill. What's the next hill that we're going to get to? What do we do when we're up there? How do we know that's the right hill? um and so those two things actually worked quite well um uh, together as as co-founders we found that those complementary skills um and the just the way that our brains and our personalities are wired was was useful um so i think um a peacetime ceo i would be okay with if it was still an organization that was innovating for me a 5% growing with inflation type space is just not is not my vibe you know so really, you're
0: not going back into accounting is no, what you're saying
1: no 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 <laughs> absolutely not um i don't think they would want me first of all um and secondly it just wouldn't be the the, the space that would get the best out of me um anyway so i'm um yeah i mean i i could um, i mean i'd love to be in an organization making huge amounts of profits but you know but still innovating and for me the, the thing is like that is all a successful byproduct of having a, a, an incredible vision achieving that um, serving our audiences serving the country making an impact and because we do that so well that there is you know a financial success and and being able to continuously you know explore new areas so that was, for me would be would be awesome uh, and that's the kind of peacetime that that it would be amazing, yeah. but I don't know. Um, I don't know if if uh, this country or this industry would ever <laughs> would ever facilitate that. We live in hope.
0: Yeah, we live in hope. What are some things aside? I, I found it very interesting that you now talked about the enneagram, like work and those. You know, you can think about those tests and self reflections. What you want? There are hundreds out there, but I do find them intriguing from time to time because sometimes they surface something that you that you. Just didn't see about either yourself as a leader or about a certain constellation in leadership. Um, So sometimes they just kind of help you see some blind spots, just like a good coach would or a good, uh, you know, teacher or um, a good therapist uh, would. What are some things when you think back about those, those years leading Daily Maverick through so many different kind of challenges and through, think about that journey. What are some things that you learned about yourself as a leader? Some things that you became conscious of during that journey?
1: Yeah, I mean those those profiles are really interesting, uh, especially if you you know you do a deep dive. You're able to get some to analyze them with you, and then also um, the other interesting use case is to then overlay that onto a leadership framework. And so say if you know if good leadership frameworks look like this, and your sort of defaults are strong in some of these areas and not so strong in some of these other areas um for me, it was really figuring out that okay uh, that's why I generally like to do those those parts of leadership, and that's why I generally shy away from these and and it was also important for people around me i I came to find out that a lot of people um find me really hard to read in 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 interviews especially and like to the extent that it feels cold almost coming you know coming back to them the the vibe that i'm giving but really what's happening um is that my brain is has gone off to try and figure out how all this stuff would work together and how this person would work well in this team and what you know what they would be good at, and and so my brain has gone off to the races, just gone. You know, and I am just doing this and then trying not to, you know, um, <laughs> trying not to give anything away, but just you know trying to do. And so it was really important um, for my colleagues around me to to know that. Oh, so that's why he has that crazy poker face; is his brain's just trying to, you know, can't stop it from calculating scenarios and 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 things. And so um, that was really interesting to find out. And also, I have a. Uh, um a level of introversion that i've also you know discovered about myself is and i do um, uh, i don 't enjoy public speaking, but I do a lot of it because it was one of the ways that I would overcome um that fear of, of public speaking it takes a lot it often would take a lot for me to get up on a stage and there are a couple of times when I would have to do it with no one else on the stage, literally me in front of a thousand people launching something. And what it would take for me to to just prepare for that, like mentally, was was so big. And but you know, I've become better at it now, and and I accept a lot of speaking engagements because of that too. Um, so realizing that we I need to do more work on became clear once I started you know doing this work and understanding uh, you know that I, I I also struggled to celebrate small wins, and so I make that clear uh, and my my colleagues know that that I struggle with that and so there'll be times when they go listen this is one of those moments you actually need to just celebrate the win and there'll be and because we did that work together as a team they're confident to kind of go hey
0: yeah
1: hey you need to come to the party now just stop you know thinking about helpful yeah Yeah. and and just knowing how uh, loyalty is big for me as well and but that, that's what was great is not just doing it by yourself, but doing it as a team. And people would know, like when my, my partner would come to me and he, he would come with this, the next big idea that was going to save journalism, save Daily Maverick. And you would go, why aren't you excited? I said, well, like, I am excited. I'm just trying to think about how to make it work because, you know, you've focused on this. Chances are, you know, the next step we need to be thinking about. And so super helpful in into yeah um personal communication um in knowing how what inst- you know what we naturally um gravitate to um in what's important to us in what we value and then areas that we know not so strong on so that we know we have yeah. to make conscious efforts so that was super helpful for 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 me to overlay those two those personality types against the leadership framework and that's where some real real wins came for us
0: We're nearly at the end uh, of our conversation. So uh, last question that I ask all of my guests, if you could give your younger self some advice, go back to Young Stilly and give yourself some advice on leading, managing, careers, career decisions, whatever. What is some advice you'd give yourself?
1: You know, I um, don't think my younger self would have listened to anything. From anywhere from anyone. Um and, and that was a part of the problem and and I guess part of the journey of of discovery and experiencing it. Um I don't think I was um, I just had so much, you know, shit that I needed to deal with that I was not gonna be, you know, uh receptive to any kind of advice from my future self. So I would rather go rather than talk about leadership is really just to go and say, You are enough as an individual, as a person, and then work, work on that.
0: That's great. Great word of advice and a great way to end this wonderful conversation. Still, thank you so much uh, for spending your time with me today.
1: So lovely. Thank you, Anita, for inviting me.
0: Was today's episode of Better Leaders. If you enjoyed it, please do follow us and subscribe. Thanks for listening. Missing Link.